Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we'll be talking about the President's Cup with Golf Manitoba's Jared Ladderbrook, as well as changes to the world handicap system and how you can get a better understanding of just how you stack up against the competition. We'll revisit Kelly Moore's player profile of Drew Wolitarski, one of the most interesting players on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers roster who just re-signed for two years. And a quick check on the World Dart Championship. History has been made. Check it all out on the podcast. President's Cup captured again by the United States this weekend. A come-from-behind win over the international team in Melbourne. To talk about this and a big new development for the golf world in 2020 is Jared Ladderbrook. He's the executive director of Golf Manitoba. Now, Jared, the, the tournament is obviously in the shadow of the Ryder Cup. So how much should people care about the President's Cup? Um, for sure, yeah. It's always going to be the in the shadow of, of, of the Ryder Cup, no doubt. But if you look the way that it finished this year, uh, I think it's uh, it's an elevated event. Um, you know, golf's an international sport uh, now. And, uh, you know, it went right, right down to the wire. I think people should. It's um, you know both sides took it very seriously. If you if you watched it and you you saw the intensity of the athletes and uh, and the competition, um, I, I think it's important. Um, but it incorporates uh, uh, you know like I said the the world players who are otherwise excluded from the Ryder Cup. So I think give it credit. And uh, I enjoyed watching it. And I thought the outcome was uh, I mean for it to go come down so close uh, just goes to show how uh, how good the talent is uh, worldwide. Yeah, for those who don't know, the President's Cup is international versus the U.S. They say international. It's basically non-Europe versus the U.S. because Ryder Cup is Europe versus the U.S. So that means we get to see a Canadian, Adam Hadwin, in a a great tournament like this. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you look back in the history of some of the great players in in golf that were excluded from the Ryder Cup, you know, prior to to the President's Cup coming online. And now at least it gives them a venue to be, you know, participate in this event. And yeah, otherwise you wouldn't see. You know, I was watching highlights uh, from from years ago. Mike Weir was on a team, right? So it's it's nice to see the Canadian representation, and uh, Hadwin uh, more than held his own, taking that match to a half uh, right down to the wire. So uh, fun to see, fun to see the, uh, the you know the Maple Leaf represented in this event. I think it was also pretty cool that this event, you know, it's in Melbourne, Australia, which means we got golf in prime time. In Canada, in U.S., North America, Thursday night, Friday night. Saturday night is when it all finished. It was really cool to watch live golf on a Saturday night. Yeah, it was a, it was a highlight. It, uh, I mean, for, for golf fans, it was a choice between, well, yeah, I mean, it was an option, but it was, uh, I was tuned in uh, the best that I could, um, uh, you know, fighting against uh, some of the other sports, but nice Nice to see it, and a great time of year, right, uh, for us to watch as the year wraps, uh, winds down. But uh, And the venue that they play, that Royal Melbourne, um, what a golf course. Um, bit of a connection to, to Winnipeg, actually. Dr. Alistair McKenzie, who's the designer of Royal Melbourne and has his, uh, has his thumbprint on courses all over the world, uh, has nine holes right here in Winnipeg at St. Charles Country Club. So um, there's a bit of a, a, a connection there, which was kind of cool. Nice. So uh, just looking at the performances of the players at this tournament, Brooks Kepka didn't take part in it, but Tiger Woods more than held his own as a captain and as a player. He did not lose a match in either paired with Justin Thomas or on his own. Is he the best player right now playing? Well, he arguably was the best player for the U.S. team, no doubt. And he made a statement. Um, very cool for him to be a playing captain 
uh, and win as his first in his first captaincy um, would be exciting to see if they could. Um, I mean, he's going to be a Ryder Cup captain one day. Uh, you know, eventually at some time in the future, wouldn't it be neat to see him in the same capacity in a Ryder Cup format? Um, when he picked himself, I was I was I was a little bit surprised. I thought, you know, that's that's quite a move. But if anyone can pull that off, it was him, and he delivered. And um, uh, it it certainly with him playing, uh, it elevated the event to a you know to a premier level event. And uh, and that's what he does. He draws people. He draws. He draws crowds, he draws viewers, and uh, I think it just made for a super event. Uh, fun to watch. Now, I understand that you often watch these big events uh, on your PVR. How, <laughs> how do you justify that? Live sports on PVR, is, it's really tough in this day and age. <laughs> it's brutal. Uh, I, I, I can't get through. Uh, there's a couple that I get through, but uh, I'll, have, I'll be honest. I, I didn't see it finish uh, on, on the night that it did. Um, you know, it gives me a little luxury to sort of fast forward and, and wind through sort of some of the commercials, but uh, it's not as exciting. Uh, and I did find out who won prior to me finishing it, so it was kind of a kind of a letdown that way. But to see it play out was was still very exciting. Um, I mean, just the play from both sides. I mean, some of the putts that that were made over the course of the last the last, you know, day, I mean, it was unbelievable to see just sort of the, the caliber of, of athlete and, and the quality of play, and uh, it was fun to watch. And this whole Patrick Reed thing where he gets a two-stroke penalty at the Hero World Challenge for improving his lie in the sand, he gets a two-stroke penalty, did not call it on himself. Golf's all about calling yeah. infractions on yourself. Does anyone like Patrick Reed? He wasn't liked before that. I mean, he had a bit of – he always sort of played that – I mean, if you know a little bit about him, uh, he's got that chip on his shoulder, sort of an outcast, struggled in university um, golf, and uh, sort of uh, it's been Patrick against the world, um, so to speak, and he didn't make any more friends with, with his the rules and fractions. It's funny with golf, though. I mean, if you look at any other sport, you know, uh, I'm very familiar with hockey or, uh, you know, football or basketball, some of the major sports. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? Isn't that sort of the way that it is? Yeah. And in golf, it's totally different, right? I mean, I don't know what went through his head. I, I didn't see it live, obviously. Uh, um, but, I mean, the replay of it was, was awful. And, uh, you know, he certainly didn't uh, improve his standing, his popularity uh, standing in, uh, with, with golf fans. And, and then the way he carried himself at the event. I know there was some, there was some uh, jeering uh, against him. And, and, you know, he sort of, uh, you know, was, was quite animated with his, with his antics on the golf course and, um, you know, like him or not, I mean, he, he, he delivered on the last day and, um, you know, he's certainly, uh, he'll, he'll be in these types of events for years to come, I think. So let's look ahead to 2020 for not the pros, but the average Joes. I've never taken time to calculate what my handicap might be. I have no idea what it would be, yeah. but there's something coming in called the World Handicap System. What's it all about, and how will it make things easier for the average golfer? Yeah, this comes right on the coattails of the new rules that the modernization that that were that were delivered um, or that came online this past uh, January. Uh, so that it was a you know the first major modernization to the rules in in thirty some odd years. Again, the whole idea of the rules was to make the game, uh, you know, the sport easier to understand, to play by the rules, um, more inclusive, less uh, less penal. Um, and this sort of the world handicap system is a nice segue to that. Um, for those that don't understand the handicap system, it, it's a 
It's a, a system that allows golfers of, of, of differing skill levels to compete against one another. Um, and the World Handicap System really is meant, it's, it's come online to be inclusive. Uh, it allows golfers to establish a handicap uh, very quickly. Um, uh, only three rounds are required to establish uh, uh, a handicap, uh, which, is, which is new. It used to be uh, eight, eight rounds, I believe. Um, and uh, there's a max, a new maximum, uh, which is available, which is, which is 54. And, and the way that it works is that it, uh, it allocates a certain number of strokes for a golfer based on his or her ability, and, and then they compete against uh, you know, other athletes of, of, of uh, either a better or lesser skill level. So um, that's been new. It's, it's, uh, it's very inclusive. It's, uh, it's, it's a world system. So wherever you play in the world, um, your, your score is, is applicable um, towards uh, counting towards your handicap. There used to be six governing bodies before. Now it's under one. Um, and again, the idea here is um, uh, it's just to you know, embrace the game across uh, all the cultures that it's played. And this is the next step in that. So um, I think it's a great move. It's going to require some, some education on our part with our membership and our member clubs. And, and um, you know, if, if we saw with the rules, it was, you know, the, the overlap or the, 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 the push through to the new year was, was great. We had some great resources available and, and I think we'll, it'll be the same with this and, you know, we're looking forward to uh, to bringing that online in, in the new year. So this is something that after a player has done their round, they log on their computer and fill something out? Yeah. So as a member of Golf Manitoba Golf Canada, they have access, uh, uh, the ability to, to uh, keep a handicap. Uh, they don't have to. Um, but uh, through the resources that we have, we have, there's a mobile app. So they would select at the golf course that they just played and, and the tees that they played. And, and based on there's some, there's some rules. Uh, there's seven rules of handicapping. So, you know, one of the new rules is a is a, a, a limit of net double bogey on a hole. So, the great part about it is, is uh, for those that play golf, you can have some great holes and you can have some really really bad holes. Um, so, to have a maximum on a hole allows you to continue your game and and it still keeps uh, you know sort of based on the algorithm through the through the software. It keeps track of a player's, uh, you know, ability and, and taking into consideration that there's going to be those those outlier holes, right, that are going to happen in, in the course of a person's uh, season playing. So they'll enter their score. It'll it'll calculate their handicap, and when they take it to the golf, the next golf course that they're playing at, uh, they'll be able to uh, to come up with a, a course or a handicap for that for that given course that they're playing on, and away they go. So um, it's uh, it's a pretty pretty neat system and. Uh, like I said, the whole idea is, is to allow golfers of different skill levels uh, to compete against one another. In theory, you could have a, a 25 handicap playing against a PGA Tour level caliber player, and the two can play head-to-head against one another based on, on the system. So it's a, it's a neat, neat uh, what's one of the neat features of golf is that it, it allows uh, you know, players of differing uh, skill levels to, to compete with one another. And just finally, just to explain what a 25 handicap means, uh, how would that affect your score? So if you're a 25 handicap, you go out and shoot 105. Does that mean you actually, with the handicap, shot 80? Yeah, I mean it would. It could move a little bit depending on the on the course that you're playing at. It would adjust based on on the course that you're at. But that that's a real simple way to look at it, right? That's the best way to to do it. Over the course of 18 holes, 
you're, you would get a certain allocation of strokes on each hole based on the difficulty of the hole that you're playing. And, and the course is rated, so there's that portion of it as well. And, and that determines where your, your, your stroke allocation is, is uh, for the golf course. So, but that, no, that's, a, that's a great way to sum it up. Okay, perfect. Jared, well, I appreciate your time tonight. Enjoy the off season, and we'll catch up with you once some of the snow melts. Absolutely. Let's, let's, uh, let's hope for that being sooner than later. And you know my habit now of replaying player profiles done by Kelly Moore from our Bomber broadcast because he puts a lot of time and effort into them. And they might get one, sometimes two airings. But you know what? They hold up. They're great stories. And a reminder of the story that Kelly told from June of last summer of Drew Wolitarski in honor of Wolitarski signing a contract for two more years with the Bombers. The supplemental draft of 2011 didn't really work out for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when they surrendered the seventh overall pick in the 2012 CFL draft for Central Michigan receiver Quito Pobla. And four years later, when the Bombers forfeited the second overall pick in 2016 for linebacker Garrett Wagoner. But perhaps the third time will be a charm. Chris Streveler. Has the ball. He's got an open man at the 10, down to the 5, and there's an easy touchdown for Drew Wolitarski. The Blue Bombers selected Wolitarski in last year's supplemental draft and only had to pay the price of a third-round pick in 2018 for the 23-year-old, six foot three, 220-pound receiver out of the University of Minnesota. So right about now you're going, hey, wait a minute. How did Drew Wolitarski, who was born in the L.A. suburb of Santa Clarita, even qualify for the supplemental draft. Well, we'll catch you up on that story and how becoming a Canadian all came about in just a bit. But first, we'll dig into some of who Drew Wolitarski is. The son of John and Audrey played basketball, ran track and field, and even swam as a junior lifeguard before settling on football almost out of necessity. It was brought up to varsity at a, at a young age of 14 because we didn't really have receivers. Uh, I think after my first year in, in high school, it was when I kind of understood that this could be a potential, you know, I wouldn't say career yet, but I, like, I could probably play college football. After breaking former NFL receiver Steve Smith's California State High School records for receptions and receiving yardage during a standout career for the Canyon Cowboys, Wolitarski did make the jump to the NCAA level. But seriously, what is a kid from SoCal thinking when he commits to Minnesota? I had low expectations for Minnesota when I went on my uh, my visit. Uh, I was expecting farmlands, kind of cornfields, and flew in over the Twin Cities, saw the Mississippi River, uh, just nice city. Everything was green. It was September, so probably better that I went then than in the winter. Um, I don't know. I was sold. I just felt right there, and I guess it was my northern blood, you know, my parents being from Montreal, so I think there's a little bit of that in me, and I just kind of wanted to change up from, from the California lifestyle. You know, it was too hot all the time. In addition to finishing among the top 10 receivers in Golden Gopher School history, Drew also discovered his other passion for writing. My English teacher in my junior year of high school, he, uh, he got me into reading. I'd never really been into it before that. Um, he just kind of gave me some books that went outside the classroom. And I started uh, really d diving into that. And one day I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to write my own thing. So I wrote this 50-page little story about these kids in, in World War II. It's just because I, I love history. I love war history. Uh, and from there, it really just took off. And I just, whenever I had story ideas, I'd write them down. And I, obviously, they were terrible back then looking back. 
Um, but I've, I've, I've been writing to this day, and um, I've, I've seen myself improve. Uh, I published one in a school paper, and then I did some nonfiction for a, a newspaper uh, like a couple months ago, actually. So it's been cool, and I would love to, to keep working on that craft and publish more stuff. It was somewhat ironic that Drew Wolitarski's final college game for Minnesota was also the only one he would ever play in his home state of California, the 2016 Holiday Bowl in San Diego, where Wolitarski extended his streak to 26 straight games with a reception. So, with his university career in the rearview mirror and no interest from the NFL, Wolitarski decided having a Montreal-born mother might open a door or two in the Canadian Football League. Weirdly enough, the guy I was living with in Minnesota used to be neighbors with Mark Tressman. He calls Mark Tressman and is like, hey, my, my whatever, so-and-so wants to play football in the CFL. What does he have to do? And Tressman's like, all right, well, he has to go to this camp, whatever. He's like, and also, he could be technically a Canadian if he gets a citizenship. And Tressman was like, oh, definitely get that citizenship. That will be huge for him. So that's how I kind of found out about that. My dad uh, got an attorney to get the paperwork signed quickly um, just so I could come up here. And then the Nova Scotian Mail took like two weeks for it to bring the actual paperwork to me. So we were just waiting in anticipation. It was an exciting time, but again, those two weeks were slow. It took Wolitarski some time to learn the Canadian game, and he was coming into camp not in 100% shape and after the season had already started. Needless to say, it was a sharp learning curve. My mom is from Montreal. My dad was born in Texas, moved to Montreal at a very young age. They grew up together until high school, and my dad moved back to California. My mom stayed in Montreal. She only came back when he, he proposed to her to get married. So that's kind of how it began. Our, and our, my grandparents moved to Montreal way before that. Didn't know a single soul, didn't even know French. And my grandpa started a French church. So, And then last week we were all in Montreal, and it was cool. They were there. I was able to score two touchdowns, one for, one for mom, one for dad. I, I called it an eclipse of familial history, you know, when things just come together for, for a little moment. So all of a sudden, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have gone from having some concerns about their talent level at Canadian receiver to a very impressive one-two punch in homegrown product Nick Dembski and the SoCal Canuck, Drew Wolitarski. Now, have you ever watched darts on TV? It's bonkers. Super accurate throwers in front of just a, re- a huge audience. That is absolutely juiced on liquor and beer. So the atmosphere is rowdy. It's a true pub sport. There are a lot of men there. And the PDC, or Professional Darts Corporation, holding its World Darts Championship just underway. And today, history was made. Fallon Sherrick, a 25-year-old woman, became the first woman to beat a man in the tournament's history. And the crowd was thrilled. On the edge of history. Probably go to a darts championship at some point. That sounds a lot of fun. Sherrick, with the win, on stage afterwards, said, quote, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. I feel really happy because I have proven something for women's darts that women can play the men and beat them. So fingers crossed, this is a move in the right direction. I'm over the moon. I can't believe it. 
And unlike most other sports, there's no strength advantage to darts. There's no size advantage to darts. Are you accurate? That's that's pretty much it. Can you nail the center? Can you hit the bullseye? It's really what matters. Now, Sherrick is the fourth-ranked woman in the world as we get into the weeds on darts here. She is the fifth woman to take part in the men's world championship, the fourth since qualification pathway was created for women just last year. So let me let me say that again. It's not like there's a long history of women losing to men. They've never had the chance to play the men. That's part of the problem. And now there is a qualification pathway so that two places among the 96-person field each year would go to female players. Now, obviously, there are way more men playing than women, but part of that is because there were just weren't opportunities for women to play, and this will help them out a lot. Sherrick, whose twin sister Felicia also plays darts, earned her place by winning the UK and Ireland women's qualifier. Japan's Makira Suzuki, who won the women's world title in January, won the rest of the world's qualifier, lost to James Richardson in a sudden death leg on Sunday. That is not Power 97 announcer Jay Richardson. That is a dart player named James Richardson. Now, one final note on this, and a Canadian angle. The first woman to compete in the men's draw was Canada's Gail King, not that Gail King, who lost in the first round in 2001. So, remember the name, Fallon Sherrick. Boy, is that from UK. Yes, she makes darts history. We had a dartboard in our second year university apartment, a lot of holes in the wall. Don't play darts when you're drunk. It's not safe. Things are sharp. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?